We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, we're not recapping a game. We're getting into off-season topics probably a little too soon, sadly, but we're here. How are we doing, Jack? Uh, yeah, okay, Nick, but um, we'll probably got, have to relive some previous and past trauma going through you know, a little bit of reflecting as well as looking forward for this Nets because we'd much prefer to be in Trey Young's shoes right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Trey Young is doing work against the Bucks. Obviously, won game one. Wish that was the Nets, you know, winning game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. We'll try not to be too sad on this show. But as always, you can find the Brooklyn Buzz on all streaming platforms. Jack, where do we start? Nick, how do you feel 96 hours later after the demise of the Brooklyn Nets? What, what, what are the, what's going through your head? Have you had nightmares about Kevin Durant's enormous, long, skinny feet? Yeah, I think I think that's like one of the aspects that makes it so salty and sour is that it literally was inches away from being an Eastern Conference Finals appearance. And then, you know, the fact you lose any game by one possession, that kind of makes you sick. It went to overtime. You could look back at that Bruce Brown technical in a game seven. That's kind of laughable. You could look at the missed free throws from some some players, offensive rebounds, whatever it is. I think you can definitely beat yourself up more over you know, a game seven, one possession loss rather than, you know, a blowout or losing in five or losing in six. I think that game seven stings a little bit more. And the fact that Atlanta is in the Eastern Conference Finals, yet they just beat the Bucks, but still, like, that's a team you feel like the Nets could have beaten without being fully healthy. And given what's going on in the West, you know, you'd feel good about the Nets winning a championship. So it's just like this giant what if, you know, I want this little rant right here, but this is kind of how I, have I been feeling the last couple of days. It's just a giant what if of what could have happened. And it's just one play from being a championship season, it feels like. Yeah, I feel like Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where he's going through all the different scenarios about yep. all these different little things. Free throw made here, Kevin Durant shoelaces here or there. Look, it, it's tough. It's it's tough because, you know, you just look at what's happening in, in the current slate of the NBA right now. It's just like, man, we got Kevin Durant. And, it, you know, he yeah. did everything that he could. And if we all, but ultimately, you know, the basketball gods certainly went in our favor in that series. And they certainly went in our favor, I don't think, overall throughout the entire regular season. But, you know, the Nets still have somehow defied the odds to get to the second round and get to a game seven, despite, you know, all of their great players being injured and, unfortunately it is what it is but I guess one of those guys before I do get to Joe Harris Nick you sort of alluded to I guess you know the what ifs and such is there any comfort in knowing 
that if the Nets happened to be healthy, that they likely would have coasted to a finals appearance? Or does that make it even tougher, a tougher pill to swallow? Yeah, definitely tougher. It makes me saltier, sour. Um, obviously, you know, I've, I've been the one that's been pretty high in the Nets winning a championship this year. And I feel like we got enough evidence in the limited time in which we saw those players that that was going to be the case. Even in what we saw from Kyrie and Katie against the Bucks in game one and game two and, you know, a majority of game three. So it's just like that's what makes it salty is that like the Nets are the best team in the NBA, but due to circumstances and variables and health, they weren't able to live up to their full potential and win a championship. And I think the older you get, the more you watch sports is the more that you're going to feel sick about one season. Cause you know how things can change so fast. And the opportunity was literally just right there, right there. And yeah, it was in a lot of ways taken away from us, you know, yeah. A, a bad box out by a, a big Greek dude who gets... You know, a lot of just, you know, shoe issues in this game. You know, Giannis got smaller feet. Kyrie's healthy. You know, KD's got smaller feet. You know, we get a game-winning three in game seven, arguably one of the best shots of all time. But here yeah. we are. <laughs> here we are, Nick. Unfortunately, that's the, the nature of the beast. And I'm, I don't know if this is like reliving past trauma in a bad way or in a good way, you know, trying to process it. You know, tell me how you feel, Nick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but it's probably only going to make things worse. So maybe we should, I guess, move on to someone else who's probably be getting plenty of slander lately, and that is my boy, your boy, everyone else's boy, Joey Buckets. Does he deserve all of this criticism, Nick? You know, it's gotten to a level where, you know, it's almost, you know, there, there's Kristaps Porzingis, you know, Joe Harris is in this sort of realm, Kyle Kuzma. Does Joe Harris deserve all the slander that he has been receiving? Uh, probably not all of it. You know, he probably deserves the majority of it. The realistic stuff where, like, he didn't have a good series and the Nets needed him to step up and they gave him all this money. And they weren't really necessarily asking him to do things that he couldn't do, you know, in terms of knocking down open threes. It's not like we're talking, you know, semi-contested. We're talking about missing a lot of wide-open looks in the series. And I feel like that's what kind of stings here. I don't think he's been getting the most slander. You know, you look at Ben Simmons, you look at Paul George after last night. It's just kind of like he's been getting some slander, role player slander. Some of it's deserved. Some of it's a little bit excessive because I think if you were to um, have Kyrie Irving fully healthy for the series against the Bucks, the Nets probably still win, even if Joe Harris plays this poorly. And then you kind of don't think about it as much. I feel like it's, you know leveled up to an extent because we're missing the other players and there's already like some level of anger and annoyance with what's going on with the net so it kind of just we're kind of letting it out on joe harris a little bit more because we're frustrated with the results of the postseason and the bad luck the nets received yeah i mean he's a lightning rod for all the criticism right now and you know you sort of need an outlet pardon the pun you know, <laughs> in, in a lot of respects for it and look i will say that you know all the criticism that he's gotten for his play on the court is warranted yeah. you know he played abhorrently you know, I, I, me and you gave it to him plenty in, in the games yep. where he was underperforming. And there was a lot of those games um, and a lot of shots that he had that were open. You know, you talk about, you know, we talk about the the shoe, the big shoes of Kevin Durant and, you know, missing that final shot. Well, Kevin, Joe Harris had a shot to, to keep us in this series and, and, and get keep things going, keep us in the playoffs. So. And not to slander him a little bit more, but in game three, he had, you know, one of the worst games of his career. And he missed multiple wide open shots, including one that would have gave the Nets a two-point a four-point lead at the end of that game where it was just a wide-open mid-range shot that he just... He was in his head this series, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, and one of the... And the defensive... You know, he's normally... I've, we've given him a level of credit before for, you know, his, his solid and, and stout defense, but he was awful that game. Um, and that's also a big... Lack discipline. 
yeah, really lacking discipline, really just bad basketball IQ plays, really just dumb basketball plays that you don't necessarily expect from him. But, you know, he proved that, unfortunately. And, you know, I know his sister jumped out on Twitter and was sort of, you know, criticizing, you know, sort of the keyboard warriors that were out there. And anyone that has been going to a level that goes beyond basketball, you know, have a bit of a look in the mirror about it because I'm all for criticism about how a person is playing, you know. Play, playoff P and calling him Pandemic P, that's good. You know, that's, that's fun because he's playing like crap. If you play, you know, don't dehuman. I've always said this. I said this about when the, there were all the fan incidents and stuff when we we're doing some spaces uh, on Twitter. Don't dehumanize the player. Don't take away, you know, their, their value as a human being and, and you know, go to, to levels that I think are, are beyond basketball. Keep it where, it where it's at. Keep it 100 about yeah. his awful, awful basketball play. And the fact that he was a you know a massive contributor to the demise, unfortunate demise of the Brooklyn Nets, but a lot of other people have been criticising uh, this man, uh, our head coach Nick, and Steve Nash, uh, including uh, Mr. Nick Wrong on, on Fox Sports, who, for some reason, despite his his criticism of the Brooklyn Nets, went to pretty much every single game uh, at Barclays Center. Change this tune on KD real quick, though. Yeah, I mean it's uh, <laughs> look, I'm not gonna. I, I, he doesn't deserve this. I there, I found this based off of discussions I was having in a bit of a group chat. But he said one of the big reasons the Nets didn't win Game 7 is because they're a poorly coached team. Is Joe Harris not allowed to be taken out? Can you play Jeff Greenmore? Can call a timeout to give KD a chance to get, to breathe and maybe you win? Nash got out-coached by Bullenhoser. Me, you, Matt Brooks discussed the, the coaching battle in, in the preview, Nick, and we sort of we thought that Bullenhoser, um, Holzer, would have the ascendancy, the advantage, given, you know, just the... The general experience that he has had. He didn't coach a great series. I don't think Steve Nash was uh, amazing either. But was Steve Nash's acumen or lack thereof a reason why the Nets are in the playoffs right now? I mean, I don't think if you're looking at the course of the whole series, no. Like Steve Nash did a good job. And I think as soon as his two of his superstars got hurt, he got a hand tied behind his back. You know what I mean? Like he was limited in what he could do with the skill sets and the tools he had on that roster. I think could you look at game seven and point to a few things where, hey, you know, maybe he could have done that differently. I think the timeout point about Kevin Durant is fair, just given the fatigue in which he was at. But also, you know, I'm sure you could hear from other players that in that moment, you rather just kind of go for it and go for the opportunity and then kind of reserve that time out and give yourself you know another excuse me another possibility to win or how another play breaks so like Steve Nash was he perfect no but was he a big reason the Nets lost that series no no and look I'm fine with criticizing decisions and you know little bits yep. of rotations here and there I, I think those are fine but making a, a broad statement that he's a bad coach or he, he coached poorly I think is a, a little bit hyperbolic to say the least now yep. I, I, I think Steve Nash could have done better. And look, you know, everyone's sort of calling him Mike D'Antoni 2.0. And yeah, of course he is. But he's also got you know, Jacques Vaughn and Ima Udoka, guys who we'll get to in a little bit, um, behind him, sort of supporting him uh, as well. So look, there are a, a, a decisions that were made and weren't made by Steve Nash that are, that are worth criticizing. But if we're looking at it holistically, big picture, Nick, Mike Bullenhoser made way worse decisions yep. than Steve Nash did that I think had a far greater impact on the outcomes of the game. You know, failing to really make James Harden work on defense, playing Jeff Teague minutes, not playing Bobby Portis here and there. You know, I think that Mike Bullenhoser got bailed out by Drew Holiday, a couple of nice shots here and there. Giannis's just physicality and awesomeness and ability to impact. He got bailed out though. Bucks had more talented players healthy. Yeah, and I think that at the end of the day, 
that's not a coaching thing. That's a basketball guards thing. That's a luck thing. And like we sort of alluded to earlier, the, the luck wasn't on the net side. And, you know, it, right now, the, the Atlanta Hawks are looking quite healthy. And, you know, they've taken game one against the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, you know, Mike Wilmhurst is finally winning games for, for the Atlanta Hawks, it seems. Uh, but in, in, in saying that, Nick, yeah, I think it's a discussion that, you know, rookie head coach, you know, I, I'm all about sort of criticizing where criticism is warranted. But I think that there is finding blame for the sake of finding blame that I don't think is is necessary. Um, and yeah, I think that it's a, a little bit rash, but I do understand criticizing specific nuanced things because I think that's where a bit of objectivity does arise. Yeah, and I think also there's different ways to coach basketball games and there's different schemes and versions and ideas in which you have in your head. And you don't always have to agree with what Steve Nash, you know, does. And, you know, that's just going to be different perspectives. So I think, like you said, Jack, there's little decisions in that game, in that series where you could argue. But, I mean, if you asked anybody after the first three games of the series who they thought the better coach was, I think everyone was leaning with Steve Nash and, you know, what he was doing and what he was making use of the different players with James Harden being out. Because that's what I think is easy to forget. And even when James Harden was on the court in the series, he wasn't himself. And that's pretty obvious. Yeah. And look, there's there's plenty. We could nitpick for days and days, but I don't want Nick to pull any more <laughs> of his hair out. And, you know, I've got a lot to pull out myself, but, you know, I want to keep it nice and luscious and, and long and smooth, my dude. But let's get let's let's stay on the, the coaching route, Nick, because we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, good or bad, the Nets have lost one of their key assistants in Ime Yudoka, who is expected to be finalized and named the head coach uh, for the Boston Celtics, which I think is uh, a great move by their organization, Brad Stevens. But in saying that, Nick, what does this hiring mean for the Brooklyn Nets side of things? And what were your what was your reaction to it and such? And I guess we can discuss Mike Mike James's comments as well, which I think were quite um, quite nice as well. That he seems to has a really good relationship. I read a few articles about Udoka, uh, and we've always been high on him. And, and the, the defense that the Nets did play this season, you know, he was our defensive coordinator. So, um, what are your thoughts on this Udoka hiring from uh, for the Celtics and I guess from the Nets side of things too? Yeah, I thought it was a smart hire for the Celtics. Get a young up-and-coming coach who has experience being on a couple different benches now, working with some great players in this league. Also, like you mentioned, 
has some good relationships with players across the league too, which could kind of help Boston's image, which has obviously been in trouble over the last couple of seasons. Most recently this off season with Danny Ainge and his departure and hopefully kind of trying to change the tune for them. But I think for the Nets, you know, it sucks. Like you knew this was kind of going to happen though. You know, Yudoka was a guy that we even looked at as possibly becoming the Nets next head coach before. He Steve would have Nash. been, he was in the running, you know, when Kenny Atkinson was hired as well, he was on that short yep. list too. So uh, it was only a matter of time for, for a guy like Yudoka and, and yeah, I, I apologize for interrupting Nick. No, you're good, Jack. Uh, like, cause that's pretty much what I was going to say too. So it's just like a lot of, you know, it's a loss of experience and just another personality. And I also thought felt like he became more vocal as the season progressed. You saw him more on the sidelines, talking to guys, letting them know specifically in the playoffs. So Boston definitely got a nice coach uh, in Udoka, and we'll see how he kind of does with that team. But the Nets are going to definitely need to find somebody to replace his shoes, and hopefully they can find somebody at least close to what he did for the team. Yeah, it's going to be tough because, you know, what Udoka does provide, you know, reading the tea leaves and behind the scenes and stuff from reporting from ESPN and The Athletic is that, you know, his communication is a real asset that he does provide to any team that he is on. And, you know, we heard Mike James, what we saw and what he sort of said to reporters as well as, you know, he he gave him a a nice shout out on Twitter. And also the fact that Udoka had the experience at Team USA uh, with Jason Tatum, Kimball Walker, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, you know, just vibing with them and developing a bit of a rapport obviously was a good thing. So, yeah, the Nets have lost one um, and they did a good job of sort of solidifying their defense. And, you know, I think Udoka does a really good job of, you know, just relating well in a similar way that Steve Nash does to all the team. So he's going to be a real asset uh, for the Boston Celtics. And, Nick, there could be some other guys that are on their way out. We heard this even during the playoffs. We didn't necessarily touch on it, but... Mike D'Antoni is in the running, uh, I think, in the second round of interviews for the Portland head coaching job. Uh, and Jacques Vaughn uh, is in the, the same route um, for the New Orleans Pelicans head coaching job. Uh, what are your thoughts, I guess, on the Nets losing all their experience behind Steve Nash at this point in time? Yeah, I think we kind of discussed it as a possibility during the season or even when the staff was assembled, you know, last offseason, just because of all the experience and the guys they have. and. It seems more likely these guys are going to be gone than more likely they're going to stay. You know what I mean? Like D'Antoni was a guy that we kind of knew was going to be on the bench for a year. Vaughn was interviewing for a lot of different jobs. He was almost the Nets head coach. So I think both these guys are great options for a lot of different teams in this league. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see Mike D'Antoni in Portland and Jock Vaughn in New Orleans. Yeah, the Trajan Langdon, former Nets assistant GM, is going to have a, yep. certainly an influence on, on on what happens there. You know, I think he's obviously a head coach. He proved his value uh, for us in the bubble, and and after Kenny Kenny Atkinson's uh, dismissal, he was awesome. Um, you know, the the little moves that he made there, the rapport, um, his communication, his poise. Um, he, he's going to be a great head coach wherever he does go. And Mike D'Antoni with Damian Lillard. You know, just think of James Harden, Houston Rockets 2.0. That'll be uh, an amazing, amazing hire if that does happen down that route. So, look, who do you think is more likely, Nick? And No, I'll, I'll throw him from the net side of things. Who do you think the Nets are more likely to retain? Man, I guess I would just say Jacques Vaughn just because he's not as big as name. You know what I mean? Where D'Antoni just kind of has that pop. You fire, you know, you fire a guy like Terry Stotts. You want to bring in someone with a name. You bring in D'Antoni. That's someone you can sell to your fans. You know, Jacques Vaughn obviously did a great job with the Nets, but that's going to be hard to sell to some different situations. But I think Vaughn, honestly, will be a great head coach. I think it's just more likely because he doesn't have that same name pop as D'Antoni. Do you have a preference, you know, if you're sort of, you get to keep one of the these key assistants to the Brooklyn Nets this season and you get Mike or you get Jacques, great name, by the way. That's uh, the full name <laughs> of yours, truly, one of the co-hosts of this podcast. Um, who do you who do you pick? 
I'm, I'm forcing you to pick, you know, between, you know, a rare steak and a, and a nice, lovely steak taco with a bit of green sauce on top as well. You know, salsa I, verde. Salsa verde. This is tough because I could see it for both sides. I'd probably go with Dan Tony just because I think the rest of the coaching staff is going to be younger and you want to have that experienced guy. Even Vaughn himself isn't that experienced. So having Dan Tony in your corner would definitely be more of a luxury. But uh, Vaughn also could provide different aspects in which I feel like Dan Tony and Nash kind of have similar offensive minds. Um, you know what I mean? Given with their history together, so there's you could play it both ways. But I'd probably prefer prefer Dan Tony. I'll go from the Jacques Vaughn side of things just to say you know see Steve Nash develop by himself and have a challenging of ideas yep. you know, with Jacques Vaughn and, all, and, and Jacques Vaughn is our lead assistant. You know it was announced before the season that he would be the highest paid assistant in the NBA. So. I think that there's a likelihood that Vaughn could stay because of that, because a New Orleans really going to get out the the playbook for for a guy who's a, a not a first time head coach, but a, an inexperienced head coach with the experience that um, um, Vaughn has had. He might get paid similar money, yeah. if not a little bit, maybe not more, but a, a very similar money to do a job that has far less stress, far less pressure. But and you, you know, can handpick this next situation. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to go to a bad situation. Not to say New Orleans is. No, not at all. And obviously there is the Orlando Magic situation, which he has his history with that franchise, so I don't think he'll be back there. But we know that Jacques Vaughn will be back in a head coaching spot sooner rather than later. I think Mike D'Antoni is probably more likely, as you alluded to, Nick, given the history that he's had, the success that he's had, even without the championship. But it'd be nice for Mike D'Antoni and or Jacques Vaughn to stay so the Nets can have success. But I'll throw a few names at you, Nick, because I've seen these names bandied about a little bit. If the Nets lose one or both of these guys, obviously losing Yudoka, they're going to have to replace that somehow or somewhere. Lloyd Pierce is a former college teammate, you know, former Atlanta Hawks head coach. Uh, you've also got Dirk Nowitzki, who has been, um, who was highly touted from Steve Nash and wanted him to come. And then you've got Rajar Bell, who I'm a little less on, but is also a former Phoenix Suns teammate uh, of Steve Nash. Do you see any combination of those guys coming back? Is there a preference? Do you think that Dirk is actually going to want to get back, get that itch going again? Because um, we did hear that he wasn't necessarily, he was pretty happy with his life, you know, on the sidelines doing his own thing. A little bit of mentorship for, for Luka Doncic out there in Dallas. What are your thoughts, I guess, on the replacements? Yeah, I think Lloyd Pierce is somewhat likely. Like you said, you mentioned that relationship does have head coaching experience in the league. Unlikely to get another head coaching job, you know, after being let go by Atlanta and the success they're having. Uh, Dirk, I want to say like he might have just accepted um, a role with the Mavs front office at like as an advisor. I'm not 100 percent sure on that, though. But even if even if he didn't, I feel like he's more likely to go help in Dallas. Like it just seems like that's where his ties are. Raja Bell seems more likely now like he seemed like it was a possibility last year and he brought it up recently on a podcast too about that conversation they had <clears throat> excuse me long day at work but uh i think uh he he's a he's a possible option too but i think lloyd pierce would be the most likely one of that group yeah, I mean, we could probably go through the trenches of former teammates of Steve Nash in, yep. in Phoenix and, and Dallas and such and, and probably handpick a few guys here and there. We probably will have to do that at some point this offseason. But, yeah, Lloyd Pierce, you know, I, I think was a little unlucky in his, in his firing in Atlanta. But, you know, the, the replacement in Nate McMillan, you, you certainly can't argue with that. But I think Lloyd Pierce, what he could provide to the Brooklyn Nets would certainly provide some value. Dirk, obviously... You know the two of the best you know pick and roll teammates, two two of the most talented front and backcourt teammates to, to ever have. Not the biggest fan of Raja Bell. I brought this up previously because uh, he made some what I thought were insensitive comments about Paul George and him choosing to communicate and share his mental health struggles in the bubble. And uh, Raja Bell was dismissive to say the least, and told him to sort of you know. 
basically keep his mouth shut and not sort of put that stuff out there. And I was uh, sort of taken aback by those comments. And it, it's part of the reason why I've been put off by him a little bit. But again, you know, if the Nets choose to go down that route, I'll 100% support it. I'm not a, a guy that's going to look too much into things. But yeah, the Nets are... It's going to be interesting to see how it does feel out because my other favorite, Nick, Nick Busing, is sort of called the... The Nets coaching staff this year, you know, the the dream team of head coaches, the dream team coaching team, but they're losing Ima Yudoka, who is a you know, whether you're Scotty Pippen or Patrick Ewing or Charles Barkley in that dream team. Uh, either way, it's a big loss, and you know, it, it could be even bigger losses to come. I agree, Jack, and I think also that was one of the reasons they were able to deal with so much adversity during the regular season. All these different coaches, all these different adjustments they could make. Next season, it'd probably be more difficult if they don't have that same level of staff. But obviously, you hope the Nets stay substantially more healthy this upcoming season than in the previous. Absolutely. Nick, we better get to this one because our boys at the Celtics lab, they did something. They broke Nets Twitter, Celtics Twitter, and everything in between getting uh, author Matt Sullivan on their pod to discuss. Uh, and he, br- he dropped a bomb. He dropped a big bomb. Now, again, I'm not totally... Uh, sure on the credibility of Matt Sullivan as a source in terms of Nets news, but he has written a book and, you know, check out that pod, by the way, really good episode uh, by the boys at the Celtics lab. The only Celtics fans that I actually like uh, and will communicate with, but the Celtics lab lads, here's a, a bit of a transcript, a bit of a, a clip from it. They had said Kyrie Irving has a player option for 22-23, Kevin Durant with the same player option, James Harden with the same player option. And they asked, do you think the Brooklyn Nets will win a championship in the next five years with that big three? And Matt Sullivan responded with this. Let me give you guys a little news. I'm not sure that has been out there. I've heard that the Nets ownership was quite upset with Kyrie's pause, especially that maskless party that turned this pseudo-paternity leave into more like a COVID suspension. And in the last week, I've heard rumblings, whispers really, because cracking the Nets is kind of like breaking into the Kremlin. The Brooklyn Nets GM, Sean Marks, would maybe possibly, apparently, be willing to at least listen to a trade offer for Kyrie this offseason. Now, I'm not sure what the market is for Kyrie at this off point. It's not like Ben Simmons giving you the headache on that. It's the complex personality that comes from off the court. I think it's been annoying some people in the franchise. I can't speak to his teammates, who obviously want to play with one of the world's best and get him back out there. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Nick, what did when you heard the boys, when when you listened to the podcast, what was your response against to these uh, pretty explosive claims, rumors uh, from Matt Sullivan? He's certainly not Adrian Wojnarowski, but explosive claims nonetheless. I mean, I think you look at it too and you see like a couple errors right off the bat in the COVID suspension into the paternity. You know what I mean? We know that they're not correlated, that they happened at different times of the year. You know, I think he recently had his child and the whole COVID thing with the maskless birthday party stuff happened in the beginning of the season. So right off the bat, I think that makes you feel a little bit less credible about the story. No disrespect to Matt Sullivan. you got to nail your facts and obviously they're not facts. I'm not calling it. I mean, it's just simple. Like, I mean, you and I know this. I knew this before I looked at this, you know, article right here and looked at the little snippet, just basing off the timeline. I'm sure a lot of Nets fans, I saw them complaining about it too. And they're right because the timelines didn't match up. So that obviously makes you lose a little credibility. And then also the delivery of would maybe possibly apparently be willing. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like, okay, well, like no shit. Like, obviously it's a possibility if someone offered you Steph Curry for Kyrie Irving, you're going to listen to their offer. So I wouldn't look at too much into it. I saw some of the points of it. It was said that the ownership wasn't really happy. Like, uh, but Kevin Durant loves Kyrie Irving. James Harden seems to love Kyrie Irving. A lot of his teammates love Kyrie Irving. Welcome back. Welcome back. There you go. And also just like, 
you're not you wouldn't get the value you want for Kyrie Irving. And if anything, just prove the theory of three superstars. It was this last postseason the Nets had. You know what I mean? You want to have three stars because if one goes down, you can still win with two. Now, if two go down, then you're screwed. But at least you have that other possibility of a plan B, maybe not a plan C. Yeah, look, it's I, I'm not buying into any of these rumors or claims whatsoever. I, I, I will buy into the fact that maybe Sean Marks... In fact, Sean Marks probably was a little bit peeved at Kyrie Irving and seeing that video drop out. Uh, so was probably ownership as well. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that you can sort of take one little you know, miss... You get annoyed at me sometimes. We still podcast all the time. <laughs> absolutely, my dude. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think he, he's turned a, a, is it a, mole, a mountain into a molehill or molehill into a mountain, whatever the analogy slash metaphor is. It, uh, I think it, they're pretty baseless. But, uh, again, you know, great um, podcast with, from the Celtics Lab boys. Uh, they do amazing work on the OTG network. But, yeah, in relation to Kyrie Irving, you know, there was the mid-season discussion about, you know, freaking J.J. Reddick getting traded for him from, I don't know, it was Kendrick Perkins or some oh, yeah, other. Yeah. Some other J.J. Reddick and Josh Hart for Kyrie. That's what he said. So, uh, some other dumbasses on national platforms that just don't understand this Brooklyn Nets team. And we know how great Kyrie Irving is and the Nets probably would want to chip with him, even if James Harden didn't come back. So, yep. look, ultimately, the, these are salacious claims, but I think that the credibility... Uh, isn't necessarily of the the highest order, but hey, make for some fun podcasting content and and certainly helps out the OTG cloud as well at the same time. But yeah, I think Matt Sullivan isn't necessarily a person I'm going to be going to for any future Nets news, let's put it that way. And also, shout out to Kai because he looks incredibly happy and fulfilled right now with his partner. Some cool videos dropping on, on YouTube about, you know, um, him, the video of him and his and his partner watching um, the, uh, a birthing and, and Kyrie sort of like singing and stuff. Uh, really wholesome content. Um, we love Kyrie Irving. We are a Kyrie Irving stand podcast at the Brooklyn Buzz. No doubt about that. Love for Kyrie. Yeah, and also just one more last thing on the report. At like no point in the report even did it say the Nets are interested in trading Kyrie Irving. It's that they would listen to an offer. And I mean... If someone's your third best player, no disrespect to Kyrie, like you said, we love him. Like, you're going to listen to offers regardless. You know what I mean? It's not like he's like, oh, yeah, I'm listening to offers for Kevin Durant. Like, obviously, you're trying to create the best possible team. So I didn't really look much into it, but I know it, you know, it's slow days out here. Yeah, I mean, if I offer you Zach Lowe on a podcast to, to replace me, or you, you you find an offer for, for me going around, it's just like, you know, we'll, we'll trade you Zach Lowe for, for Jack Manuel. It's just like, yeah, man, let's just do that immediately. I don't know. I'd have to think about that one. Oh, you're too nice to me, mate. You're too nice. You're far too nice. It's probably the accent, which some people don't <laughs> like. Um, <laughs> in saying that, Nick, did you want to jump? Do you want to jump to the Team USA stuff or do you want to jump to the Sean Marks stuff? Because, look, there's a lot to break down from the Sean Marks press conference and might be worth maybe touching on the, the Team USA stuff from Kevin Durant and James Harden uh, and maybe even a Dinwiddie update too. Yeah, let's uh, touch on the Team USA stuff. Obviously, we got the news that, you know, Kevin Durant committed, James Harden did commit, and then he decommitted, you know, to focus on the hamstring, which I thought was a smart move. So, it scares me a little bit that uh, Kevin Durant's, you know, playing in the Olympics, just given his history. But then I kind of thought about it is like he actually really didn't play a lot this season. Like he played a ton of minutes in the postseason, but during the regular season, it's not like he logged a ton of minutes. So like in those Olympic games are usually not that difficult. It's not like he's going to be asked to play the full game like Steve Nash was doing in the postseason. So what were your thoughts on it, Jack? 
Yeah, look, I was uh, initially just like excited for, for KD to, to keep hooping. You know, he's a, he's a hoop head. We know that. Uh, James Harden clearly is as well. But thankfully, a couple of days later, before we recorded this podcast, it was announced that he would be pulling out to focus on the, the hamstring recovery. Thank God, James. You, uh, a collective sigh of relief from Nets fans and James Harden fans everywhere around the world because, yeah, we, we saw what he was doing out there and the great two hamstring strain. You know, just chill, my dude. You know, Tokyo, you, you'll probably get another chance at a, at another Olympic Games in, in four years' time. And, and yep. Tokyo probably isn't the best decision right now, given what's happening there with their COVID situation too. But I think that, you know, let's see what KD does. Maybe he can get, get in the ears of a few guys and we see some some off-season moves. You know, maybe Kevin Love gets uh, born on a buyout and he, and he heads to Brooklyn come, come mid-season like Blake Griffin did. Who knows? Because... You know, Team USA has a, a rich history with the Brooklyn Nets, Nick. It is the one of the key reasons why we now have our superstar trio uh, and DeAndre Jordan, that guy as well. <laughs> that was kind of savage. But, uh, yeah, no, obviously that that's what they're doing. They're recruiting out there, seeing maybe if someone could hop on or maybe even something further down the line, you know. So it's always fun kind of seeing the team be there. And then, obviously, it's kind of fun to watch James Harden. I mean, well, not James Harden anymore. Kevin Durant play some more basketball for Team USA. You know, it's just a joy to watch that guy play. Always, mate. Always, always love seeing Kevin Durant hoop. And, you know, we've been privileged to see it. And this postseason was masterful. Um, he is the best player in the NBA. And Zach Lowe did a, a really good piece sort of talking about the resurgence of Kevin Durant. I'm going to go throw a golf wax here a little bit, Nick. I guess we're on the Kevin Durant tangent, and there was that piece that Zach Lowe did come out with. Is Kevin Durant the best player in the NBA right now? It ain't on the Google Doc. I'm sorry that it isn't on the plan, Zick, and I'm throwing a question unprompted at you, but I think I might know the answer to this one. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I went pretty hard in an argument on the outlet for him uh, before he had that crazy series against the Bucks. So I felt reassured after I saw his performances in that, you know, game five, that game seven, just what he could do and how the de the defense was kind of like defenseless against him and his ability. So and I like you mentioned that Zach Lowe piece talking about like different aspects of his game and like how we could really see the best version of Kevin Durant next season. Like that's a real possibility. So I think right now he's the best player in the NBA. You know, I think he has the edge over LeBron until we see what he looks like fully healthy with that ankle. But also just KD's looks like he's hitting close to the peak level version of himself, which is amazing. Do you? I've heard uh, some. Uh, there's always going to be claim, opinions about Kevin Durant until the cows come home. There's a lot of people saying that what he did in this postseason was one of the great legacy cementers compared to you know the rings and the finals MVPs that he got in Golden State. I guess what are your thoughts on on those? I guess you know comments and and I guess general premise and and the opinions of them in general. So if they happen in reverse order, they'd be saying the same things about what happened most recently. So if KD had these amazing series and never won the finals, then he joined Golden State and got the chips, they'd be like, oh, this just cemented his legacy, that big shot he hit against LeBron in the finals. You know what I mean? So I think it's just kind of like another addition to his career. It's just something else added to the resume. It doesn't really necessarily matter the order. To some people it might, but it, it's done. You know what I mean? It's history and it happened. Postseason numbers, Nick, of 34 points, four assists, and nine rebounds on 51, 40, 87 shooting. Come on, KD, I can't, like, the missed free throws is probably what frustrates me the most because, like, he does it in his sleep. I think it was yeah. probably a fatigue issue, probably with some of them, but those numbers are incredible. And his career playoff mark trace only Allen Iverson and Michael Jordan as, as postseason <laughs> scoring performers. Tenth in, in total playoff points. He could pass Jordan. You know, he could pass, yep. and he could, you know, depending on how long he does decide to play for, um, he is a, 
he scores at will. He is, you know, like we sort of said, you know, if you, I remember Daryl Morey a couple of years ago sort of comparing and saying that James Harden's a better scorer than uh, than Michael Jordan. I might put it out there and say that Kevin Durant's probably a better scorer than Michael Jordan there. You know, um, it's it's a pretty salacious claim to, to throw out there. I'm not Matt Sullivan about it, but maybe I am. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something to consider. I think he needs to continue to repeat these type of performances. Obviously, we've seen it happen a lot. But if he were to continue at this level for multiple years, I think that's a real conversation you can have because it gets to a point where he's constantly just dominating good defense. You know what I mean? And then it's like, okay, the other team's putting their best defender on him. He's cooking them, and he's hitting a tough shot in their face. What really more can the guy do when he's doing it at the highest level of efficiency? And honestly, he might not ever get an opportunity like he had this postseason to kind of carry the load for those games because he's more than likely to play with star teammates in this upcoming season. So it's really going to be interesting how that develops and how much we get to see KD in terms of being that pure dominant scorer or does he just kind of focus more on that all-around stuff? Because I think, you know, his defense was amazing against the Bucks. It could probably be even better if he wasn't carrying the entire team for three games of the series. Look, there's some incredible stats, Nick. And I know ESPN's behind a paywall in, in a lot of countries. It isn't in Australia, so thankfully I'm able to provide these stats for people who might not be able to access them. The Nets scored 1.195 points per possession when Durant shot out of a post-up. So if you're looking at it per 100 possessions, that's 120 points, nearly 120 it's- points. Six it's literally nine. insane. Like it's you, crazy. <laughs> it's an thought, insane number. I've got some crazy numbers to, to keep going with as well, Nick. 1.18 points per chance on Durant isolations. At uh, 1.141 points uh, off a, a ball screen. Uh, he was. It was just incredible stats. You know, he was like top ten in, in every single sort of individual possession you could be. Now he is uh, an amazingly versatile player, an amazing scorer. Now um, he is. He's a cheat code and. I'll, I guess I'll throw this at you, Nick. A lot of people are jumping on the bandwagon for Kevin Durant for MVP in 2021-22. Is he the favorite? You know, I think it's going to be tough because of the big three. That just typically is what happens. You know, when you play with stars, you know, it's tough to win MVP. If, you know, someone misses time, they're out with an injury, he plays at this level all season long, the Nets have, you know, a historical NBA season and win 65 games or something, you know, maybe you look at it as a possibility. But it's always tough given the situation. I think most people after next season will definitely be changing their tune and, you know, realizing that Kevin Durant is the best player in the league. And we always know that that doesn't necessarily mean that you win MVP. So I'm more confident with him maintaining being the best player in the league next season rather than winning MVP, given that it seems like the media hates the Nets and Sean Marks is third in executive of the year. We're not even going to talk about that today, but (laughs) that, that was definitely weird. Yeah. Look, there's, I think that it, to increase the Ned's villainhood, villainness, whatever the the adjective is, I think it's a good thing because I think the the Nets revel in that. Kevin Durant revels in that probably more than any other bloke going around. Um, he is his bounce back from one of the worst injuries that can happen to you in in, in all of sports is is nothing short of remarkable with a capital R. It is truly insane. You know, we talked about you know, and we sort of dissected this in the preseason quite a bit. It's like. You know, it's Dominic Wilkins that's one of the only guys to sort of come back and, and increase his level of play and, and maintain a level of, you know, productivity uh, despite coming off of that. And Kevin Ray happened to be quite a bit older as well. So this is just, you know, don't... We hear, like a lot of people say, don't take LeBron James for granted. You know, I hope people aren't taking Kevin Durant for granted because what he is doing right now uh, for the sport of the NBA and for the game of basketball, um, we are privileged to have him. He is a basketball god walking this earth. Yeah, and obviously, you know, one of the most unique skill sets you'll probably ever see in the NBA. You know, they're they're 
it's not very likely to see a guy that'll be anything like Kevin Durant. But Jack, anything else you want to jump into? Look, I've only got a, maybe one more minute, Nick. So maybe next time, I reckon we dive deep onto Sean Marks' comments about the offseason. We've got some Dinwiddie updates. Uh, we've got some cool questions from some of our listeners as well. So despite the fact that the Brooklyn Nets aren't playing basketball and our bread and butter of doing post-game uh, pods, we've got plenty of stuff coming on the buzz. Don't worry about that, ladies and gents. 100%. Like you said, Jack, we got these topics. We're going to do player reviews. We're going to talk draft. We're going to do an offseason preview. We're going to look at free agents. We got a lot of stuff lined up, hopefully some mailbag episodes as well. But Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.